0: Franklin had the same curiosity about the world that drives today's scientists. He was one of the succession of probers who have transformed our vision of what we see. And watching his probing brings us back to a time when the world could reveal profound secrets to an ordinary man armed with only the imagination to ask why familiar things happened the way they did. But of course, ordinary men cease to be ordinary when they not only ask such questions, but exert themselves to find the answers. And that is what Franklin continually did. So that is a an excerpt from Benjamin Franklin by Edmund S. Morgan. I picked up this book most recently when I was at a bookstore, just through curiosity, bought this. I've read a couple other biographies about Benjamin Franklin, and this one is, is new to me, and I think it's worth studying Benjamin Franklin. And part of my interest in Benjamin Franklin comes really through one of my personal heroes, who's Charlie Munger. Charlie Munger is best known as vice chairman of Berkshire Hathaway alongside Warren Buffett. And Charlie cites that Benjamin Franklin is one of his personal heroes who he studied extensively as a child. I hope one day I'll I'll better be able to articulate just what, what Charlie Munger means to me. But I think one of the best ways to describe the impact of Charlie on my life comes from one of my um, favorite podcasts, which is the Founders Podcast. David Senra, who crafts Founders Podcast, best described Charlie Munger as the wise grandfather that we wish we had. And in a lot of ways, that's why I'm particularly attracted to the lessons and teachings of of Charlie. Uh, Here, this is... So Charlie actually has a book written about him called Poor Charlie's Almanac, which is very much an embodiment and representative of Poor Richard's Almanac, which is a book of aphorisms that Ben Franklin put together. And the introduction to Poor Charlie's Almanac is this excerpt, which I want to read to you. From 1733 to 1758, Ben Franklin dispensed useful and timeless advice through Poor Richard's Almanac. Among the virtues extolled were thrift, duty, hard work, and simplicity. Subsequently, two centuries went by during which Ben's thoughts on these subjects were regarded as the last word. Then Charlie Munger stepped forth. And those are words from Warren Buffett. I think that gives a a glimpse into just sort of the connection between the timeless advice that Ben Franklin distilled and and put forth and and a lot of the advice I I hope to cover in future episodes about Charlie Munger on some of the wisdom that we can gain from him. Before we move into Ben Franklin's life, I think it's worth just providing a list of his discoveries and experiments that he's put out into this world, which I think will also give a collective understanding of the impact that he's had on the world. And so here's just a few of his discoveries. He discovered lightning, which is really a form of electricity. And he's most well known for the famous kite experiment in which he demonstrated that lightning could be captured and used to produce sparks, just like static electricity. Uh, And this discovery was quite revolutionary at the time in that it dispelled the myth that lightning was just some supernatural phenomenon. Another discovery is just on the forces of positive and negative charges. So Ben Franklin was the one that discovered that within an electrical charge, there are two types. There is a positive and negative charge and that opposites attract each other while like forces repel each other. This is the key discovery that underpins a lot of our current understanding of electricity. Towards the end of his life, he also furthered our own understanding of the Gulf Stream in that the way a warm ocean and the way currents flow between the coasts, um, he was able to Describe the path and speed of uh, what it takes to sail between Europe and, and America. Ben Franklin's work was a huge contribution to our own understanding of oceanography. In addition to these key discoveries, he also paved the way with a lot of foundational experiments that furthered our own practical usage of key inventions. Uh, One of them was the Franklin stove. This was a stove that he built to create a more efficient and less smoky type of fireplace. And although it wasn't successful, it took many iterations. The Franklin stove eventually became quite popular and changed just foundationally quality of life for a lot of people. Ben Franklin also invented the lightning rod. So in addition to his discovery of lightning as a form of electricity, he invented this rod that could be held up on top of buildings, and the rod then dissipates the charge of lightning down to the ground, which was foundational in that prior to the lightning rod, any time lightning would strike buildings, it was disastrous in that the building would explode into fire. And so his, his invention was was crucial to advancing quality of life that way as well and saved number of lives. He also invented the harmonica, which is a musical instrument. I'm not going to be able to do it justice, but it's basically uh, spinning glass bowls that would form these beautiful sounds. It ended up being discontinued because it wasn't safe to be um, used as an instrument. But I mostly put it out there just as a an understanding of just his wide range of interests that led to so many key experiments and, and discoveries. Separate from all of this, there were a number of other discoveries he aided as well uh, that we'll cover over the course of this book. And to best understand how he was able to achieve so much, uh, I think it's really helpful to study his insatiable curiosity. And so here is from the book. If we watch Franklin in the fresh air for a while, we quickly become aware of his most conspicuous virtue, the thing that would earn him worldwide fame in his own lifetime his insatiable curiosity. There was more to see outdoors than in, and Franklin could not see anything without asking himself what it was, how it got that way, what made it tick. He had that rare capacity for surprise that has made possible so many advances in human knowledge. The habit of not taking things for granted. The ability to look at everyday occurrences and wonder why. I'm also going to pull from Poor Richard's Almanacs, which is a book of aphorisms that Brent Franklin put together that serves as reminders and wisdom that carries through the ages. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to attempt to connect learnings from this particular biography to his own aphorisms that he's pulled from the ages to help connect the lessons uh, from Ben Franklin. And so part of what makes his curiosity so powerful is that he wasn't just satisfied knowing the name of things, he really deeply wanted to understand the world around him. And so here's from Poor Richard's Almanac. What signifies knowing the names if you know not the nature of things? And to me, what that means is that knowing isn't the same as understanding. This lesson is also embodied by Richard Feynman, one of the famous physicists. He has a similar learning that he likes to convey, and this is actually something that his own father taught him. And so here is Richard Feynman on an interaction that he had with his father. See that bird? It's a brown-throated thrush. But in Germany, it's called a Halsenfügel. And in Chinese, they call it a chungling. And even if you know all the names for it, you still know nothing about the bird. You only know something about people, what they call the bird. Now that thrush sings and teaches its young to fly. And flies so many miles away during the summer across the country. And nobody knows how it finds its way. And so that is an interaction that Richard Feynman had with his own father and really embodies the spirit behind that knowing something by name isn't the same as understanding. And I think what we can learn from Ben Franklin is that he was relentlessly curious, which then enabled him to not just be satisfied with simply knowing the name of something, but really wanting to understand the nature of things Which is how he was able to continue to move beyond past taking things for granted and contribute to the advancement of human understanding of the world around him. Part of what enabled Ben Franklin to make such advancements that were a byproduct of his curiosity is that he treated the whole world as his own laboratory. So, from the book, Franklin never stopped considering things he could not explain. He could not drink a cup of tea without wondering why the tea leaves gathered in one configuration rather than another at the bottom. He was always devising experiments to help him understand what he saw around him, but he made the whole world his laboratory. And so connecting with that, here is um, one discovery he made on how people caught the common cold. People at the time were under the illusion, as many still are, That getting cold and wet, swimming, walking in the rain, wearing damp clothes, was the way to catch cold. There was not yet a germ theory of disease, but Franklin proved, to his own satisfaction at least, that people caught cold from one another and from, quote, too full living and with too little exercise, end quote, not from being chilled. He found that he could spend two or three hours in the water with no ill effects. And on the notion of treating the whole world as a laboratory, even approached his own curiosities with this scientific mindset from the book. He was careful to record the details even of an experiment that does not succeed, since they may give hints of amendment in future trials. So that, those are direct words from him in that even if an experiment doesn't succeed, it may give hints as to future success. A big reason why Ben Franklin had the success that he had in accomplishing so much is that he fundamentally was a practitioner and built and conducted a lot of the experiments himself versus pontificating. And so here's from the book. He liked doing things himself. He was continually designing experiments and constructing apparatus to carry them out. But mostly they were things he could do by himself, or that he could get some craftsmen to do according to his directions. He must have been very good with his hands, and the world he knew was a world in which nearly everything was done by hand. That world was changing, even in his own lifetime. And so that is also building on this notion of he wasn't simply satisfied just knowing or putting forth ideas. He really wanted to understand the nature of ideas behind what he was observing. And so to get that understanding, he was a practitioner. He built things by hand to really get to the root of true understanding. Outside of being a scientist and an inventor, Ben Franklin also had an extremely successful career as a statesman and is widely regarded as one of the greatest statesmen in history and played an integral and key role in America's efforts to become an independent nation from Britain. But before we get to that, this is a, a brief sentence from the book on what made him so successful in that regard. So from the book, Perhaps the most remarkable thing about the man as we have come to know him has been his ability to make friends with all kinds of people and to win their support and admiration. Which beg the question for me personally, like how was he able to win the admiration of so many people around him? And it really fundamentally comes back to his own curiosity. Here's a passage from earlier in the book. He took people at face value and had a knack for meeting kings and beggars children and adults, politicians and scientists all on equal terms. Perhaps it was because his curiosity reached toward every person as well as everything he encountered. That is a key reason among his other virtues as to how he was able to win admiration and support from so many people around him. Ben Franklin was also widely known for his his unique pursuit of what he refers to as moral perfection. And in order to best understand it, it helps to understand his own journey and discovery of what it means to live a good life, what it means to live a meaningful life. And this journey started really as early as him as a teenager. So from the book, he was only 15 when he began to have doubts about Christianity he heard preached in the church. And so it's helpful to understand during his time, the word from the Bible and the word from the church was really what people look to for for guidance on how to live a meaningful life. And because of Ben's own curiosity and independence of spirit, here's also further from the book, but he continued to pursue his thoughts on God and the universe, uninhibited by any reliance on the Bible that his ministers so confidently took to be the word of God. And so he starts to develop his own new views as to what it means to live a good life here, so here's a little bit on. His new was that, though certain actions might not be bad because they were forbidden by it, it referring to the Bible, or good because it commanded them, yet probably those actions might be forbidden because they were bad for us, or commanded because they were beneficial to us. Or another way to phrase that would be from Poor Richard's Almanac. Sin is not hurtful because it is forbidden, But it is forbidden because it's hurtful. Nor is a duty beneficial because it is commanded, but it is commanded because it is beneficial. I think the best way to summarize Ben's views on faith is that he regarded faith as just a means to an end, which is to live a good and moral life. And so we learn from the book. Where his Boston preachers had made faith the ultimate goal of a man, and mere morality worthless except as a possible sign of faith, Franklin declared flatly that morality or virtue is the end. Faith only a means to obtain that end. And if the end be obtained, it is no matter by what means. So to understand what he means by what the end means are, let's go on to his own autobiography where he outlines what he believes as the path to achieve moral perfection. And so in his autobiography, he cites and lists what is a list of 13 virtues that he deems important. So here's from the book. Number one, temperance. Eat not to dullness, drink not to elevation. Number two, silence. Speak not but what may benefit others or yourself. Avoid trifling conversation. Number three, Order. Let all your things have their places. Let each part of your business have its time. Number four, resolution. Resolve to perform what you ought. Perform without fail what you resolve. Number five, frugality. Make no expense but to do good to others or yourself, i.e. waste nothing. Number six, industry. Lose no time. Be always employed in something useful. Cut off all unnecessary actions. Number seven, sincerity. Use no hurtful deceit. Think innocently and justly. And if you speak, speak accordingly. Number eight, justice. Wrong none. By doing injuries or omitting the benefits that are your duty. Number nine, moderation. Avoid extremes. Forbear resenting injuries so much as you think they deserve. Number ten, cleanliness. Tolerate no uncleanliness in body, clothes, or habitation. Number eleven, tranquility. Be not disturbed at trifles, or at accidents common or unavoidable. Number twelve, chastity. Rarely use venery but for health or offspring, never to dullness, weakness, or the injury of your own or another's peace or reputation. And then lastly, humility. Imitate Jesus and Socrates. Although this particular biography doesn't cover it, one interesting aspect of how Ben sought out to achieve moral perfection was in the way he kept these list of virtues top of mind at all times. From his autobiography, like it, he he's a peculiar individual in that he has an index card of all of the 13 virtues and lays them out by day of week in an effort to practice them day in, day out. And so to him, I think what you and I can learn from from that effort of walking around with this list of virtues is that if someone as, as impressive or as accomplished as Ben Franklin needed constant reminders of what it means to live a life of virtue, then who are we to have and maintain this sense of arrogance that we are able to live a life of virtue without consistent reminders of the same? I also find it interesting that temperance was at the top of the list. So here's from the book. Franklin placed temperance at the top of his list, and this is his list of 13 virtues. And poor Richard enjoins it again and again in different guises. And so here's a couple aphorisms from his almanac. Eat to live and not live to eat. To lengthen thy life, lessen thy meals. Take counsel in wine, but resolve afterwards in water. He that drinks fast pays slow. Nothing more like a fool than a drunken man. Part of what I also think he was trying to achieve with temperance and and averseness to alcohol was that at the time, drinking alcohol was a pretty common activity. And this is something that a lot of uh, individuals that he was working alongside with would do during lunch hour. And to him, he was actually able to, he was known for his frugal habits. And early on, coming out of his teenage years, he was saving up to open his own print shop. And at the time, he found it easier than others around him to be frugal because he had this core belief that if he can just avoid drinking alcohol, then he can save money, which is something that others around him just didn't think to do so. And so that's a unique insight that he had even as early as, I think it was around age 19 or 20, that he was saving up to open up his own print shop. I also think it's helpful to pull out this aphorism from Poor Richard's Almanac. Virtue and happiness are mother and daughter. And to you and I, I think that the way to understand why virtue and living this quote-unquote moral perfection life was so important to Ben Franklin was that he truly saw that a life of virtue is a life of happiness. For him, like, even wealth wasn't an end pursuit for him. So, for example, from the book... But Franklin had never thought of industry and frugality as a way to wealth, but as a way to contentment. And that's yet another example that to him, like the pursuit of these virtues were a life of happiness and meaning to him rather than what the fruits of the virtues would grant him. That is how we can best understand Ben Franklin and why this pursuit of moral perfection was so important to him as a way to live a happy and contented life. Another notable individual who extensively studied Ben Franklin was Elon Musk, and I found this passage to be particularly interesting because I think there's a lot of parallels to how Elon has run his own life and, and companies, and so here's from the book. Earlier when his experiments with the movement of air enabled to design the Franklin stove the governor of Pennsylvania was so impressed with it that he offered to give Franklin a 10-year patent on its manufacture Franklin declined the offer as he later declined to profit from his lightning rods it was apparently a matter of principle with him as early as 1744 that quote, "as we enjoy great advantages from the invention of others" We should be glad of an opportunity to serve others by any invention of ours. And this we should do freely and generously. So I pulled that piece out because from listening to several interviews with Elon Musk, he cites Ben Franklin as a key influence on him growing up as a child who he didn't really read business books. He read autobiography and pulled out key lessons as a way to build up his own understanding of the world. And, and this is uh, this particular passage struck me as interesting because early on Tesla was noted to have uh, refused to put patents on key inventions purely for the principle of advancing Tesla's mission of um, speeding up sustainable energy, a path to sustainable energy. And I think we could probably get clues from where he would have learned that lesson or how he got that idea. And certainly he could have had it independently, but it, and it's helpful to understand how his childhood influence through Ben Franklin enabled how he executed on Tesla's mission. Another key aspect of Ben Franklin's life was that he preferred to live a useful life than simply dying rich and an accumulation of wealth. From the book, he wrote his mother that when his life was over, quote, I would rather have it said he lived usefully than he died rich. And he obviously meant useful to others. So this is something that he this lesson consistently comes up. I particularly took a a gravitation to that lesson in that I was recently watching a documentary of Arnold Schwarzenegger on Netflix. And in it, in one of the episodes, I think it was the first episode, this was a three-part covering his bodybuilding career, his acting career, and then lastly, his political career. And I believe in the first episode, Arnold cites that the most important thing that he learned from his dad was... Be Useful. This is something that Arnold's dad consistently reminded him of. And in fact, Arnold released yet another book, and the title of the book is called Be Useful, a series of lessons that he's learned throughout his life that has allowed him to get to where he is. As I pull out aphorisms from Poor Richard's Almanac, I realize I haven't actually covered what that book is, what Poor Richard's Almanac is, and So here's a brief description from the biography. We can learn something about what made him so widely liked in private life and so successful in public by reading the morsels of advice he handed out in Poor Richard's Almanac. Poor Richard, among other things, is a manual of etiquette and of the virtues that led to moral perfection. Its advice about how to behave often sounded like a description of Franklin's own well-controlled behavior. I wrote on the sidebar that I consider Ben Franklin as the OG Dale Carnegie. You might be familiar with Dale Carnegie as the author of How to Win Friends and Influence People. It's widely regarded as a seminal work in the self-help book category. But I want to make this connection to this bit right here from the book, from the biography. Occasionally, he composed angry letters to people he regarded as public enemies. But after letting off steam this way, he seems generally to have left the letters unsent. So I pulled that lesson from Ben Franklin because this is something that Abraham Lincoln was well known for, and in fact, even in *How to Win Friends and Influence People*, there were some examples about Lincoln's um, allergicness to insult and criticize people, even in private or publicly. Part of it was that Lincoln early on had a impactful moment in that he wrote a very critical critique of uh, another individual, and he was then challenged to a duel. And, and you got to imagine, like the, the challenging a duel in the 1800s was a death sentence. Like if you lost a duel, there the consequences were very dire and so that moment of his words altering could have altered the course of his life taught him a valuable lesson that he took to heart he didn't write an insulting letter or did he make the effort to ridicule people from that moment on there were several like letters he's written in his life that he never goes on to mail because he fundamentally believed in not critiquing as a um, as a way to live life And that's actually one of the first lessons that we learn in How to Win Friends and Influence People. Principle one being, don't criticize, condemn, or complain. Extending on this notion of living a useful life, it was really important to Ben's own life to serve the public. And it started as early as his 20s when one of the first works of Public service was by creating this, I guess you could call it a self improvement club. He called it the Junto, and it was a gathering of young men at the time that come from different walks of life, and they all gathered together to learn and improve their own minds. And this was one of his first efforts to enter the service of people and the public. I think to best understand why public service was so important to Ben Franklin, I want to pull out a couple aphorisms from poor Richard's Almanac here. The first being, what is serving God? Tis doing good to man. And so I I take that to mean public service to Ben Franklin is doing good to man, which indirectly is serving God. Another one, serving God is doing good to man, but praying is thought an easier service and therefore more generally chosen. I picked those two in particular because in order to best understand what drove Ben Franklin to devote his life to the public, it's helpful to understand his worldview that to him, serving God meant serving people. And that's why he placed such an importance on the practicalities, whether it was practicalities of the inventions and discoveries he made in better aiding humanity, or the practicalities of the wisdom that he shared through his own efforts of moral perfection. Okay, I'm going to move us further on when Bren Franklin has a notable impact on the city of Philadelphia. In this moment, he has made the efforts to raise a militia. Granted, I think it's helpful to understand that at this time, because America was a set of colonies and not a united nation, each particular colony had its own militia, or like at the time, they didn't even have their own standing army. And so Ben Franklin was a notable individual who made efforts to train individuals for the purpose of defending from invaders. But also he was a avid proponent of other civic Efforts to Improve the Quality of Life in Philadelphia. And behind that, here's from the book. Franklin was behind virtually every scheme that made the city an attractive place to live. He became expert at getting people to help pay for projects for their own benefit, from paving the streets and making them safe at night, to caring for the sick and improving the minds of the healthy. What they mean by improving the minds of Healthy was that he was also one of the first people to invent the notion of a public library. Back to the book. It could all be done by making people see the advantages of virtue, advantages that were free and easy if you took the long view. What an important lesson there. Like the long view being gratitude. If you're able to defer for future benefits, you are able to maintain the rewards. In fact, I think the best way to understand it is I found this passage further in the book, and I view this as really advice for life from the book. If people resisted doing what was right and good for them, they had to be somehow enticed, not bullied into doing it. In the long run, they would see what was good for others was good for them too. What prevented statesmen and countries they governed from seeing it was a mistaken pursuit of present advantage over long-term benefits. And so that is what we mean by taking the long view and how Ben Franklin was able to persuade others to his own view of improving the lives of individuals in Philadelphia by taking the long view. Okay, there. I I don't want to dive much into the history and some of his accomplishments of his um, career as a statesman, because I actually want to focus in on the lessons and his mode of operating and playing to his strengths. And I think the best way to do that would be by covering his ability to influence by playing to his own strengths. And so part of what enabled to get things done was that fundamentally people trusted him and he wasn't this great orator, he wasn't this great speech maker, yet he was able to influence people. Um, So here's a, a bit from the book. At any rate, in an age of great public rhetoric, He never made a memorable public speech. He was, always, poor Richard, never saying too much in any company, especially very large company. His specialty was listening and then making the right suggestions to the right people at the right time. Further in the book, With no official position, his charm, his genuine interest in other people, and his way of dealing with them had made him a figure to reckon with. Although he still took pains to keep himself inconspicuous, that had always been his recipe for power. More on his ability to influence indirectly. As in all public meetings, Franklin was careful not to talk too much, not to rush things, to let others take charge until they were ready to go his way and ask his advice. Okay, earlier I described Brand Franklin as one of the greatest statesmen to have um, existed in history, and I want to pull out this passage from the biography, which I think best articulates his accomplishments. So, to set some context, America had engaged in a war, you can consider it a civil war, to fight for freedom from British rule. In order to make that happen, Franklin was sent to secure a partnership and support from France at the time. And this is what Franklin had to contend with. What the United States needed and kept on needing was money to pay for the costly war in which it had already engaged. And to lend money to the United States required an act of faith faith that America would one day be able to repay with interest the investment that Franklin had to ask the French to make. Franklin, with his belief in the American empire of the future, had no doubt that the investment would be a sound one for France. But his countrymen had not provided him with any hard evidence of the nation's future solvency. They had not given the United States in Congress, assembled any power to levy taxes to pay back what he borrowed, for it nor the power to carry out the terms of any treaty he might make. So I pulled out that one because I think the best analogy would be that he was, what he was trying to do would be, in present day, would be the equivalent of raising money for a company, let's say you're a startup, and trying to secure with another large company. But you don't have a definitive product. You haven't really established proof of legitimacy, and yet you're making a monumental ask, I think the best to best understand that the only reason why he was able to do it was on the large set of achievements that he had, and the legitimacy and reputation that he built over the course of his lifetime. That's fundamentally what allowed him to influence France at this moment in history. And I'll end on this note. We can know what many of his contemporaries came to recognize, that he did as much as any man ever has to shape the world he and they lived in. We can also know what they must have known, that the world was not quite what he would have liked to make it. But we may also discover a man hidden behind the affability and wit that entranced those who enjoyed his presence. We may discover a man with a wisdom about himself that comes only to the great of heart. Franklin knew how to value himself and what he did without mistaking himself for something more than one man among many. His special brand of self-respect required him to honor his fellow men and women no less than himself. His way of serving a superior God was to serve them. He did it with a recognition of their human strengths and weaknesses as well as his own, in a spirit that another wise man in another century had, has called the spirit which is not too sure it is right. It is a spirit that weakens the weak but strengthens the strong. It gave Franklin the strength to do what he incredibly did, as a scientist, as a statesman, and a man. That is... Benjamin Franklin by Edmund S. Morgan. We'll end it there. I hope to cover more lessons from Benjamin Franklin through other biographies and other works. And I certainly hope to cover more of his wisdom that we didn't get to today. But thank you for listening.